As hard as it is, we are keeping democracy alive. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. So yes, there's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. That people don't feel that they can do very much. You know what this is? This is a very Hamiltonian system. Alexander Hamilton being the guy here in a very un-Jeffersonian. In the case of the Republicans, it's dramatically the opposite. Uh, But even in the case of the Democrats. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans themselves. America's fascists are those people who think that Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. We're only seen as a financial sector that's uh, gotten out of hand. The shooting, the violence, that is not the drug problem. That is, in fact, the drug policy problem. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. Well, talk about dignity of man. All of a sudden, it seems that our president is amazingly undignified. We used to have presidents who actually cared about uh, the common good. Really, I'm not kidding. And those of us who voted for him certainly wanted to shake things up. President Trump's supporters are getting that in truly astounding levels. In his Proving to be Prescient 2013 book, Time No Longer, our guest Patrick Lawrence declared, quote, the American century is behind us now. Of course, history does not suddenly change at the numerical turn of a decade or even a century. The 20th century American-led order continued clearly under Presidents Bush and Obama. But suddenly, suddenly, with the opening days of the Trump administration, like it or not, a corner has been turned. Much of it, the blatant racism and religious discrimination, the astounding and shocking authoritarianism, is incredibly ugly and has triggered shockwaves around the world. Our guest writes in his book that to recognize the end of the order that has been familiar— The half-century of unquestioned American dominance of the world will be a, quote, great disillusioning. It will bring difficulties, and surely it will take time, but it will change Americans in ways they urgently need to change. Doesn't come easy. End end of quote. Uh, No doubt this is not what you expect to hear from keeping democracy alive, but But stay with us, please. As much of a shock to the system as Trump is, as truly contemptible as Mr. Trump is, many of the long and widely embraced and no longer useful myths, the end of the American century may be in the process of being replaced by a world where the U.S. is no longer the dominant force. There are always unintended consequences, and quite possibly some good may actually come out of this. A painful and shocking as it certainly is. And to think that, like that V8 commercial, wow, we could have had Bernie Sanders, it is deeply disturbing. Today we're faced with a reckless, clearly unschooled dictator wannabe who seems to be taking a wrecking ball to everything. It may not be his intention, but I cannot help but see how his policies are serving to destroy 50 or so years of unquestioned American dominance of the planet, which has caused quite a few thousand unnecessary deaths and denied people in many places around the world the ability to simply govern themselves. My guess is that Steve Bannon and his apparent underling are very comfortable 
taking down the political establishment, but I suspect they would still prefer American hegemony throughout the world. But in the process, I think our guest would agree they are unwittingly ending the American century. Patrick Lawrence, thank you for being back with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. A pleasure, Bert. That was a good introduction to topics to be discussed. Oh, my goodness. There's so many topics to be discussed, and your perspective is, is unique. And again, it was prescient in your book in uh, 2013. Uh, Patrick Lawrence is foreign affairs columnist for The Nation magazine, which I hope everybody reads. He has published five books and is now at work on his sixth. He served as correspondent abroad for many years and is also an essayist, editor, and critic. Lawrence has taught at universities in the U.S. and abroad and lectures widely. He currently produces two commentaries, weekly and biweekly, primarily on foreign affairs and the media. Uh, Patrick Lawrence's reportage, commentary, essays, criticisms, and reviews have appeared in The New York Times, Business Week, Time, The Washington Quarterly, World Policy Journal, The Globalist, and, of course, The Nation. Uh, and numerous other publications. He's now the foreign affairs columnist at The Nation and a contributing commentator at The Fiscal Times. Well, again, thanks for being with us once again, Patrick. In a remarkably, sure, in a remarkably unique and thought-provoking article, you quote Frank Walter Steinmeier, who wrote in Bild am Sonntag, the German tabloid recently, quote, with the election of Donald Trump, the old world of the 20th century is finally over, unquote. Is he right, and who is he in the German government? And tell us what you think he meant. Well, Steinmeier is, uh, is an interesting figure. Uh, <coughs> Chancellor Merkel's governing coalition is really very in the, in the rainbow file. It's, a, it's, a, it's an across-the-aisle cabinet. Um, Steinmeier is a social democrat. Uh, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say Steinmeier is any kind of a, a grand standard bearer for a, a new world order. Uh, he has been cooperative on, on a number of things one wishes the Germans weren't. Uh, however, he's a very smart, insightful man. Uh, he, uh, he, when he took office in uh, late 2013, he ordered a review of German foreign policy and also the process by which policy is produced, calling for uh, a number of things. The one I'll note here is that German foreign policy should be uh, developed uh, by way of mechanisms that give Germans a voice in what the policy turns out to be. In other words, uh, policy elites uh, are, are no longer uh, solely responsible for it. Uh, foreign policy should reflect the aspirations of its of its of a nation's citizenry. Terrific idea. I, I quite admire that about Steinmeier. Now, uh, this remark, uh, I singled it out in that column because I thought it was very uh, baldly stated by uh, a cabinet minister of some considerable standing on the continent. The word that stuck, struck me is finally, I mean, maybe you want to read the sentence again to your listeners, 
the world of the 20th century He's is finally over. finally over, right? I mean, there is a sort of implicit note of relief in that, <laughs> right? Yes, yes. Uh, and that I share, okay? That I share. Uh, I, I think what we refer to uh, as the variously as the post-war order or the right. post-1945 order, or in my book, the post-Cold War order, which is something different, is not very orderly at all <laughs> uh, and needs to be uh, fundamentally adjusted, if not replaced. I, I know that's a big one, yeah. uh, but we need, to, we need to talk about the question of certainty here, okay? Hmm. Anyone who uh, makes certainty uh, a requirement as to how to proceed is never going to change anything. Mm. We, we must all accept a degree of uncertainty in the face of the need for change. All it takes is faith in ourselves that we can manage it. If it, it's the absence of faith in ourselves that makes us cling rather desperately uh, to uh, dead certainty as to outcomes. As long as we insist on that, we're stuck. Yeah, interesting. And, yeah, it's, and I don't want to be. I don't think we should be stuck. We are stuck, and we need to be unstuck. Yes, we do, and and I think that uh, you know being certain about it, being certain about American exceptionalism. That of course, you know, being certain that America is the greatest country that ever was on the planet. Boy, that causes a lot of trouble, and it comes from I believe you're right, uh, uh, an insecurity. It just comes from an insecurity, which is not really necessary, as far as I can tell. You know that we have to impose our way everywhere throughout the world. It doesn't work. I mean, how many thousands of people have died trying to do that? Quite possibly the first big step taken by Trump in ending American hegemony over the many Asian economies was Trump's instant killing of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which, of course, I was never a fan of. The TPP was of great importance to President Obama and to some of the major corporate powers that be in the U.S. Tell us your take on what this does to our traditional place in the world, the erasing of the yeah. TPP. Right. Well, uh, there's a lot of... Uh, there was a headline in the Times some weeks ago, Mr. Obama, we miss you already. Uh, I really do have to file this under the heading of false nostalgia. Uh, uh, we, we, are, we are glorifying the recent past without any justification whatsoever. Uh, the TPP was a profoundly anti-democratic document, not only in what was in it, such as we know, uh, mm. but the way it was developed. It's it was really written insane. by the corporations, corporate lawyers representing the corporations who were going to benefit from it. It was written in secret. Not even Congress was allowed to know about it. Uh, I, I defy any of your listeners to tell me much about what's in it. Uh, what we do know is is egregiously anti anti democratic against the democratic process uh, uh, would have a very deleterious effect on 
environmental matters, drug prices, internet freedom, you name it. Uh, this was Obama's doing. There's nothing to miss. Um, these sort of, the TPP, uh, and I'm not the only one to make this argument, was not, how, how, how wonderful to say was, uh, the TPP was not a trade agreement. It was a deregulation regime, and we've had enough of that. Uh, I, I, I am, uh, I, I, without hesitation, I hold that against President Obama, uh, and all the people in his treasury and commerce departments and so forth that had anything to do with this. And we really must not miss it. And uh, the, the, the larger lesson here is there is a very great deal about the last eight years that we must not miss. <laughs> President Obama passed up one opportunity after another to begin bringing orderly order to a very disorderly world. He didn't. Was, was it on the altar of American hegemony that we must rule the world as we've done since 1945? It seems like it. And, you know, yes. we have to have uh, our way. You know, here's my take on Obama or one aspect of it. Um, he came in um, with a lot of thoughts about ending the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and so on and so forth. That didn't go especially well. Uh, however, let, let's take apart the Obama policy in very general terms. What was he doing? He was proposing drone assassinations, yes. parentheses, against international law, mm-hmm. uh, instead of uh, the horrible cliche, boots on the ground, instead of troops. Right. Okay, mm-hmm. He was into covert action, parentheses, against the law, uh, he was into coercive diplomacy and so forth. What? All right. What was he about? He was mixing up, as we Americans always do, means and ends. He was tinkering with the means of policy. We don't like body bags at Dover Air Force Base, so no more troops. All right. We'll get them with drones and bombs and so on and so forth, right? Bombs, drones, covert action, coercive diplomacy. That's what he was concerned with, right? Instead of full-out military operations such as 2003 in Iraq. It's not enough. He left out the biggest thing. What are the ends of American policy? What's the purpose? What are we trying to do? That he left alone. So, this is Lincoln, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, he, he left the very, very largest questions facing this country untouched. What good is it to fuss at the margins with the means by which policy is executed if the policies themselves don't change? Uh, he's on the record as saying, uh, I think this is verbatim, I believe in American exceptionalism with every fiber of my being. James Baldwin said 40 years ago uh, that the United States is, is, has made itself 
the number one source of disorder in the in on planet Earth, uh, and we remain so. Well, and certainly Martin Luther King, it's often forgotten in the sanitized image of him, declared that America was in fact the greatest purveyor of violence in the world. And to Amen. what to what effect? To what effect? We've had this, uh, you know, status quo of. You know, us dominating the world, you know, since post 1945. And, you know, after that, uh, the we continued with the with the fiction and, you know, of of freedom versus godless monolithic communism. And uh, we, we tried to paint this fiction onto reality. Hello, Vietnam. Throughout the long and incredibly costly Cold War era. Uh, you know, we, we went to war in Vietnam. Thousands of people died, probably millions in Vietnam. And it wasn't... Three million. Three million. God. And mm. it, it wasn't a struggle between freedom and, uh, and, and Moscow. You know, it just wasn't. And that brings up what you write about, the, the non-aligned nations. Throughout the long Cold War era, there were a great many non-aligned nations, which, you, as you say, was unacceptable to the U.S. to have non-aligned nations. So what did the U.S. do in these countries, and how did that affect America's actual, as opposed to mythic, standing in the world? I, 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 I don't like nostalgia. I, I, I have always argued that nostalgia is a form of depression. <laughs> uh, but I do I look back. I was a little young to have lived through this period uh, aware of it at the time. I was just discussing this with a, an older friend the other day. Um, I had to learn it. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't part of my surround uh-huh. as I came to some kind of uh, p- political awareness. Uh, but the independence era uh, was characterized by a number of rather larger-than-life figures, uh, the like of which the world doesn't produce any longer. I, I named some of them in, uh, in the column on your desk, uh, the, the four N, yes. they call them, uh, Nehru, Nasser, Nkrumah in Ghana, Nereri in Tanzania, uh, uh, Ho, Lumumba, Sukarno, mm-hmm. These people represented uh, flawed every single one of them, sure. right? Uh, oh, some yeah, more than others, but sure. uh, uh, these people represented, uh, I would say, uh, a, a quite magnificent ideal uh, set of aspirations for what humanity could make of itself after the m- messes of the first half of the 20th century. Uh, it, it, it is one of the tragedies of that century that the Americans brushed aside what was declared in uh, Bandonga Mountain Resort in Indonesia in 1955, NAM, the Non-Aligned Movement. Uh, if you were non-aligned, George Bush said, remember in right. 2003, Bush 2, yes. you're either with us or with the terrorists. That's right. Well, uh, as if he were in a John Wayne movie, 
Well, we did that to the non-aligned movement Stupid. as soon as it declared itself. Uh, there was no such thing as non-alignment. You were with us or you were with the commies. Right. That's how we divided the world. And those who didn't cooperate, who had the temerity to stand up and say, we want to... To, to, serve, to govern ourselves. ...as democratic people <laughs> yes, out of yes. the colonial era. Yes. Uh, that was... It's a pitiable thing for we Americans to look back upon, uh, but that was unacceptable in Washington, and 30-odd uh, coups and assassinations followed. Mm -hmm. That's not world order in my book, <laughs> uh, and we need to come to terms with that. Uh, I, I think what we're talking about, Bert, is a man who is disrupting a deeply disorderly order, if you mm. can live with the paradox, uh, and he is a very unfortunate messenger. Let us not mince words. You didn't in your <laughs> introduction. There's no need to. He's an appalling figure in, uh, on any number of planes. Yes. But he is disrupting something that needs to be disrupted, and we need to look at this squarely and without emotion. Uh, and without reference, these liberal references to his vulgarity and poor taste and all that and glittery towers, push it all aside. Uh, uh, he wants a detente with Russia. What do we think of that? Yeah, really. He, he tipped the, tip the Trans-Pacific Partnership over the side, mm -hmm. uh, and he's going to do the same with the one across the Atlantic. What do we think of that? Okay? Mm -hmm. He is in favor of... Brexit in Europe. Right. Well, the European Union was a, another magnificent ideal. It blew it. Uh, a, a, an unelected technocracy completely overplayed its hand. Uh, there's nothing to admire in the in the European Union. No. Tragically enough, mm. uh, I got off the EU bus uh, when they right. pushed the Greeks into a corner and said, "Never mind your democratic process. Do this." Right. Uh, Germany dominated. Uh, so, what do we think of these things? He he is opposed on many occasions to regime change, coups. That's our new word for coups. Right. right, uh, right, right. No more coups, he says. What do we think of that? We need to answer these questions uh, and forget about the appalling nature of the messenger. The, the pitiable, another pitiable thing about our moment is, it is Donald Trump bearing the message. Why is that? Really? Why aren't right-thinking people bearing this message? Why isn't a right-thinking president in the White House? What happened? Right, well. I lay a very great at the risk of offending every listener you've got. <laughs> I, 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 I lay, I lay this squarely at the doorstep of the liberals. Well, I don't know what you mean by liberals. That's another discussion because I don't think Hillary Clinton was a liberal, but she was certainly those who call themselves liberals. I should amend. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because are rather illiberal in the end, aren't they? I suppose. I mean, Bernie Sanders was a populist, which is different from being a liberal. He reminded me of uh, fair enough. Yeah. Re Republican uh, senator uh, fighting Bob LaFollette. You know, I mean, it's it's right. different. You know, and 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 liberalism, as you say, I mean, it comes out. It's part of the 20th century, and to have the world so defined, it doesn't work. And I have to wonder now, 
you know, the European uh, community has said that they consider uh, Donald Trump a threat, a threat to them like they consider ISIS. He is a threat to their power structure, to their imposed order on it, which, as you mentioned, you know, has been pretty brutal to places like Greece. Okay, so now there may be, I mean, it, it used to be pictured in the 20th century as us versus them, America versus uh, the Soviet Union. Now, okay, there is no Soviet Union, but there is China, Russia, India, Iran. How do you expect Trump's foreign policy to affect these new centers of power as as it affects uh, American power? Uh, yeah, um, very good question, Bert, as, as usual. Uh, the, the phrase... One always stumbles on the phrase Trump's foreign policy. I don't know whether, well... Right, there isn't one, really. Anyway, I mean, yeah. what, what is that? It's very hard to make out. Yeah. Uh, um, he, uh, the question out there in front of us is what he thinks of American hegemony, all right? Yes, it's, exactly. On the one hand, it's awfully difficult to imagine that he, he doesn't think that uh, post-1945 American dominance should continue. It's very hard to imagine he opposes it in any sort of principled way. Right. Uh, on the other hand, America first, uh, setting aside mm. all its unfortunate connotations, mm-hmm. uh, puts him in an interesting position. As I just noted, he's not interested in regime change. And a very good thing it is because the Russians in Ukraine and in Syria, we should all understand, have put the United States on notice. The historical importance of both of these crises is as follows. Moscow has said, look, Americans, you aren't going to do this anymore without vigorous military response. It's over, right? In that respect... (laughs) You better believe the American century is over, given the extent to which coups were a part of it. Nice. Uh, uh, so he's against that. But I don't know what he has in <laughs> mind that comes after it, right? If we're, if we're going to cease with the regime change, uh, and we're going to make a cooperative relationship with Russia, Russia is not in this to be anybody's junior partner. Yeah, true. The Iranians are, are uh, whom I greatly admire in many ways, Iranian people, uh, they've got a constitutional problem on their hands, uh, but uh, that's their business. Uh, yes. uh, the Iranians uh, are a serious people without any question, the most democratically, uh, the most democratic people in the Middle East. Uh, uh, they are not interested in uh, in uh, any sort of relationship that does not uh, assume parity between West and non-West. I've just used a big phrase. I I, I consider parity between West and non-West one of the essential features of the 21st century. It is going to be accomplished. It is going to be accomplished well and constructively, or it's going to be accomplished violently and dangerously, but there's no stopping it, okay? Uh, 
And so what does Trump think about all this? It's hard to imagine, once again, he thinks at all about it. Yes. I, I, yeah. I think he's, he's a seat-of-the-pants man, yeah. and, I, and I think uh, it, he did all right in business on that basis. Uh, but the White House is not a place where one cuts new hotel deals and runs beauty pageants. <laughs> he's going to have to get beyond that, and we have to wait and see, finally, uh, what exactly he has in mind uh, as he as he puts in place the few things he has spoken of uh, on my desk right now i'm writing about his phone call with putin very interesting right uh, i don't know what's what going to happen next yeah and you know we don't know people get the impression that ukraine the uh, taking over of crimea you know the media has reported one way but as as you certainly know NATO has been a threat to uh, Russia, and, and they have real reason to fear uh, uh, expansion of NATO. And the U.S. and the European come, you know, Union have done that. And so, you know, it, there's more to the story. And there's, you know, Syria right now. I, you know, what the heck? It's been a bloody mess. It's been a horrible tragedy in Syria, and and Russia is certainly involved with that. It seems to me that Obama was was helpless. He didn't know what to do with regard to Syria and to bringing some peace there. Uh, there's no good guys, I don't think. Uh, you know, it seems to me that, you know, the U.S. policy of undermining, doing the old regime change coup thing, wasn't going to work. Clearly was not right. going to work because, the you know, the weapons right. went straight to ISIS pretty much. What do you, I mean, I, my guess is Trump has no idea what he's doing or going to do with regard to Syria. What are your well, thoughts? Interesting, Bert. Interesting. <clears throat> Again, it's on my desk as we speak. Uh, that phone call, 50 minutes long, okay? Uh, <clears throat> they appear to have spoken in generalities. They're going to make, com they want to, they propose to make common cause in the fight against terrorism. Uh, at the, the very same day uh, of the telephone call, uh, Trump signed a memorandum to, to the security agencies asking for uh, a new blueprint for uh, anti-terror uh, mm. activity, uh, including quotation marks identification of new coalition partners. That within an hour of signing that, he spoke to Putin on the phone. Put two and two together, okay. Uh, <laughs> But what is he going to do about the Syria case? He's in a tough spot, okay? He's in, uh, I mean, uh, in principle, he's in a very good position. Russia, Turkey, and Iran, two, two nations we insist on classifying as adversaries, and one, the uh, ally from hell, uh, uh, Erdogan's Turkey, yeah. are now organizing a peace process. It's too early to say whether it will succeed or not after all the failures behind us. But so far, so good. Yeah. <clears throat> they had uh, they convened a first meeting in uh, Astana in Central Asia. Um, I think a couple of weeks ago, and uh, they have another one scheduled in Geneva. They're running it. They have. They have signed on as quotation marks guarantors of the peace process that's pretty big they've they've invited the americans in that's a very big question for this reason 
if it uh, what's Trump going to do if it proceeds, and Amer and uh, Trump accepts the invitation? The United States has joined a diplomatic process that is being run by other people. Imagine that. Just pick up your history books and imagine how big that is. Yeah. If he doesn't join, uh, and this process succeeds, we have been completely left out of it. Uh, our place in the Middle East uh, yeah. is is greatly diminished, uh, greatly reduced. Yeah. Uh, historical development yeah. that would be. Uh, so what's he going to do? Uh, it, it's in this way, uh, to return to the general, uh, that I think the world order is changing before our eyes, yes. whether we like it or not. Um, well, it's interesting. Uh, you know. And I don't want, I, I, I want to remind your listeners, you're quite right that the Syria crisis has been extremely gruesome. Yeah. I, I'm uh, I, I don't. I, my position is that it, it has been so buried in in competing propaganda campaigns that we ordinary people really cannot presume to know enough to judge what has happened right on the ground. That's uh, true. Uh, other than to note the horrible number of casualties and destruction of magnificent cities and oh, all yeah. the rest. Uh, however, I do remind your listeners, the Russians are there at the invitation of a sovereign government. Like Damascus or don't like Damascus, it is a sovereign government with a seat at the UN and all the rest of it. The Russians are there according to international law. Every bomb the American Air Force drops is a breach of international law. Okay? Well, and that is not something... Of course, you will never, ever, ever see a reference to international law in the New York Times. Oh, interesting. Not ever. But uh, huh. it is not to be dismissed as a... Uh, as as a, a, a piece of information... <laughs> through which one can begin to understand what's going on over there. And there uh, is again, as I said earlier, Syria is one of two places where the Russians have told Washington, and I would say probably very bluntly in diplomatic encounters, hmm. you're not going to have a coup here. Right. We are not going to let it happen. And the Russians in particular are saying this for a very uh, close-to-home reason. They know very well that uh, there are plans in Washington, notably under Hillary Clinton, that the, the regime change process, the grand prize in the regime change process was Moscow. And mm. uh, so it comes mm. very close to home for them. Boy, it's, it's about time it stopped, for sure. It's absolutely about time it stopped. I mean, that's one of the things that I, I, I was not crazy about Hillary Clinton for. That was very, very dangerous policy she had. And we see Donald Trump now talking about safe zones in Syria, which would mean 
uh, I hate to use the uh, cliche, but boots on the ground. It would. And it's a real threat to, to Russia. And I think, you know, my sense is a lot of the end of the 20th century uh, general understanding was that we were kings of the world, that we could overthrow governments, we could do what I want, whatever we want, we could throw our weight around, and the world was just supposed to take it. That is not happening. And it does seem, right. again, unintentionally, that Trump, who knows not a thing, I think, or Steve Bannon, who has some crazy ideas, clearly, that this is accelerating, that, that it's, it's the end of the 20th century, finally. And I thought it was interesting that the president of the European Council, Donald Tusk, warned recently that President Trump was a potential threat to the U European Union. He says, for the first time in our history, in an increasingly multipolar external world, and I think that's yeah, that so many are becoming openly anti-European. He went on, the change in Washington puts the European Union in a difficult situation with the new administration seeming to put into question the last 70 years of American foreign policy. This certainly goes along with, with your view, Patrick. And for listeners who may have just recently tuned in, Bert Cohen here, Keeping Democracy Alive is a show. Our guest is uh, Patrick Lawrence, who is foreign affairs columnist for The Nation. Uh, so this goes along with your view that, so the American president is seen as a danger to our longstanding European allies. Yeah. What's your reaction? What will Western Europe do? A couple of thoughts on this, Bert. Number one, Donald Tusk is a pole, okay? Uh, we have this habit of listening to the East Europeans, the Baltic nations and uh, the Poles and so forth, on the assumption that they have the the real truth about what goes on east of their borders because they had to live under the Soviet Union in the satellite system, okay? Uh, I take actually the opposite view. Oh, they suffered greatly as satellites, okay? Not unlike the way Latin Americans right. and uh, others in Asia suffered as ours. Uh, uh, but it was not fun, for sure, okay? That doesn't make them... The, that doesn't make them the guardians of the truth in these sort of questions. It, it makes them just the opposite. They have extremely charged views of Russia, uh, and I think cooler heads uh, are to be consulted. That's point one. Um, point two, uh, I don't take Donald Trump as, let's make a distinction here, Donald Trump is not cause. Donald Trump is consequence. Okay? Hmm. Everything wasn't fine until last November 8th. Uh, that seems to be the assumption here in the United States among the Clintonians. Uh, uh, and uh, in what you read from, from uh, Donald Tusk, uh, it seems to be his assumption, too. It seems to be... a, a a uh, quite widely yes. uh, held assumption. I don't think it is one. Well, uh, I, I think Trump is the consequence of problems that go far, far further back uh, in history. Hmm. Uh, in our American context, uh, uh, I, I've already said I, I, I think that those who those who uh, 
took over the Democratic Party in the name of American liberalism right. are at fault. Oh, there yes. were very serious problems there. The very fact that Hillary Clinton was a, was put forward as a Democratic Party candidate mm -hmm. is a symptom of what I'm talking about. Uh, Donald Trump didn't really... Uh, look, he's been in office two weeks. He's done a lot of... Uh, incrementally upsetting things but he he hasn't really made history yet that was well on the way europe's europe's uh, decline was well well underway before donald trump came mm, along give sure. me a break mr tusk well maybe he's blaming trump uh, trump for actual problems caused by themselves interesting point interesting. yeah i mean look the europeans you you hear a lot in America uh, about how the Russians are uh, not only did they su supposedly meddle in the American political process nonsense the American political process was a mess long before Russia even thought about it uh, uh, but now they're doing it in Europe they're they're undermining us a big word they're undermining the European Union. Point one, why would they want to undermine the European Union when they have a densely interdependent economic relationship and like to get things done with the West Europeans? Uh, point two, this thesis uh, is, a, is, an, is an exact replica of what we're saying about the Russians and the, Democrat, uh, and the elections last autumn. The, the Russians are, you can't blame Europe's problems, which are very formidable and deep, on, you know, some fantasy campaign for which no evidence, parentheses, uh, uh, mm -hmm. uh, that they're undermining the European Union. These are internal, this is internal decay on both sides of the Atlantic. Hmm. Let's not lose sight of that. The key here is think historically. You got to go back further than yesterday. You have to go back further than November eighth or June of two thousand and fifteen, when Donald Trump came down the escalator in Manhattan right. and announced his candidacy. It, it, all that we face now was on our plates. Well before that, we just didn't look at it. So how is this an opportunity now? This radical change in the U.S. An opportunity to, to perhaps, you know, again, move beyond the confines of the 20th century, which clearly caused so much damage. I wonder if there's any degree, frankly, of, dare I say, optimism that, you know, there could be more non-aligned nations, the U.S. It, it could be that neither the U.S. nor Russia, perhaps, I don't know about China, you know, maybe, maybe it's going to be a multipolar world, which I think actually could be a good thing, where there's not American exceptionalism, where we don't rule the world. Any sense right. of, of, of that the Trump era is, is moving in that direction, perhaps unintentionally? Yeah, well, first of all, I, with respect, Bert, I, I dispute your verb. It's not going to be a multipolar world. It's, it, it is one already. Okay, okay. you're right. Uh, uh -huh, sure. We seem to be the last ones to understand that. <laughs> uh, 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 Second of all, we we have to return to the thought of Trump as probably the most perverse messenger anybody could conjure in a, in a cartoon, right? Uh, but uh, 
we are living through, I think, a moment of pretty considerable historical significance myself. It's always hard to see one's moment uh, as a moment in... Uh, it's always hard to see oneself as, as a figure in history because you're, right, you're living it. But I, as to the best one can manage it, I think we are living through a pretty large historical moment. We are amid a, a disruption of potentially pretty serious magnitude. I don't think the American century ended last November 8th. Uh, it seems to be the popular thing. Uh, I think it ended in, with the 2001 attacks. Mm-hmm. That's when mm-hmm. uh, our immunity from... This is, this is in the book. Uh, that's when our immunity from history, our place in uh, what the scholars call sacred time, ended. We, the, the great shock of September 11th was was the buildings coming down on television and the smoke and all the rest of it. That was just what they call the objective correlative. The real shock was in our minds, right? Uh, 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 and it was, oh my goodness, we're exposed to the ravaging forces of history, just just the way French and Brazilians and Russians and Malians and all the rest of the world are, right? Mm-hmm. Suddenly, Toynbee once said, history is what happens elsewhere, right? Well, yeah. the English thought that once, too. And now we, we, we thought that until September 11th. That was when the American century ended, in my view. I, the rest, what we've seen since then, is, is residue. It's, it's the cargo ship coming to a halt. Uh, uh, mm. uh, Takes a while. Nonetheless... This seems to be um, uh, uh, this seems to be maybe when when the engines uh, down below are are really grinding to a halt. We we don't know yet. Uh, I think the question for for me, maybe for your listeners, is uh, how do we take command of this yes, situation? My next question: right? yeah. uh, Why isn't a progressive person? Or, uh, I guess we're allergic to the word, but why is it a left-wing person, uh, some, some Sanders-like character, running this operation and declaring the post-war order concluded? You know, that's our question. Uh, and maybe... We could spend three programs answering it. Maybe best for now... Uh, to say, that's our question, and let us now proceed to find answers. Yeah. And one thing that, you know, obviously the the phrase America first, for those of us who know a little bit of history, is quite repugnant and worrisome. My guess is he had no idea. You know, it's just, it it sounded nice. He didn't have any connection with that. But the idea that, you know, instead of, you know, America running the world, uh, uh, Trump has said he is opposed to continuous regime change. So I think that's an important question. Like, all right, let's let's rethink. What do we do? Do we look at our own issues now? You know, the issues of uh, how do we retool? How What kind of new jobs can be created? How do we have a stronger economy? How can we have yeah. more, more justice? I mean, what a concept, more justice here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, you take apart what Trump, it's... It, 
you know, his his vocabulary is rather limited. I'm not even <laughs> sure he can get the word exceptionalism out. But uh, well, yeah. if you take apart what he says, uh, uh, let's make America great again. You have to right. parse these things, Bert, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Let's make America great again means America is not great. And if you don't believe America is great, then you believe something happened to make it ungreat. And it's our, and you also believe it's our responsibility, uh, not providential destiny or any of the rest of it. Mm-hmm. If we want to be great, we have to do it. That's anti-exceptionalist thinking. Interesting. If Interesting. you take it apart, uh-huh. right? Yeah. So you have to kind of wonder. Maybe he is. You know, basically Trump is saying uh, we've made a mess of things. He used that word, actually, uh, in his inauguration speech. That's an easy word, Uh, yeah. uh, We've made a mess of things, and it's up to us to to undo our mess and and do better, right? I don't really think, I don't own one of those bloody baseball caps, but if you think (laughs) about it, let's make America great again. I don't have any thought, stripping away all the connotations, I don't have any problem with that thought. We could be a great nation, Right. I don't. I quite agree. We're not one now, but right. I don't think my well, reasons for saying that are the same as Donald Trump's. And the question of what what do we mean by by greatness? And just just as I, I think greatness lies in uh, let's play with paradoxes. I adore them. Right. Sure. Greatness lies in repudiating what we have taken now to be greatness. Right. Uh, it. It lies in behaving as one nation, very powerful, uh, at least nominally rich, uh, uh, among many, with an enormous potential to do good things in the world. We will have to do them with others. We cannot beat our chests at the top of the hill anymore, okay? It's not going to really look great. And that's where I think our greatness, such as we may achieve it or aspire to it, lies. It lies in, our greatness lies in not greatness, right? Okay, can Uh can your listeners take that on? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. That's exactly it. That we're not the kings of the world. And maybe... I often am reminded that in the late 1960s, early 70s, the best organizer against the Vietnam War for the anti-war movement was, of course, Richard Nixon. And now, you know, look at the millions of people. They're guessing like four million people in the United States alone came out that that uh, day after the uh, inauguration. And something's happening here. Something's happening here. We're, we're, the people that were there are focusing on perhaps what you and I might agree might make America great. You know, like wel- continuing to welcome Muslims and, and, and not discriminate against right. religion. So maybe unintentionally. Uh, Look, can I speak sure. to that for a sec? Yes, please. Uh, uh, I didn't get out of the house that day. Uh, I have a lot of work to get done. Uh, I I forgive March. I was with all those people. Sure. Um, uh, but I, my mind, Bert, you and I are of a certain age. Maybe some of your listeners are. Yeah. 
Uh, my mind went back to the inauguration of January 1969. I don't know where you were, but uh, mm. circumstances landed me on the lawn beneath the Washington Monument where we had the counter-inaugurational ball. Uh-huh. Okay. Yes. That was an extraordinary event. I was 19, just, uh, uh, and uh, it's printed on my brain. It's also printed <laughs> in the history books, if you look. Uh, some pretty heavyweight people were there. Why do I raise this? Because we were not just against what right. we considered an odious man. Right. We were for something. Absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, what about these marches this time? I'm sorry to say, as much as I approve of them, there was a faint sense in my mind that they were, at some plane, a kind of reenactment, right? Mm -hmm. They were against somebody, but they weren't for anything. Mm. They certainly weren't for anything I could stand by, okay? Hmm. They seem to be in some hazy, hopelessly hazy way for the world as it was before November 8th. Hmm. And you and I are now talking about how the world as it was before November 8th is nothing to miss. It is right. nothing to stand up for. Right. And if the thought is, gee, if only Hillary Clinton had been elected, no, right. we wouldn't be out here marching. No, no. N-O. That's no. not my idea of what's worth fighting for. Not the least. No, and I think right? I, I have to jump in here that I, I feel like Bernie Sanders didn't represent the past. He didn't represent, you know, the, the 20th century uh, American dominance of the world. He represented, and he spoke for a vision, something better yes. that we can he be. for. He wasn't just Absolutely. contra. Right. And I think that's, I could feel that in the people there. It's still in its embryonic stages, I think. I mean, nobody knows what the heck to do. You know, you march out there, but how do you shape the future? What can we do now to create? I mean, this is an opportunity, I think. You know, any adverse situation is an opportunity to create something better. Right. And Right. I, I, I think uh, everybody's quite right to... Uh Boy, are we vigilant? Uh, are 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 we all vigilant about Trump's next move? He does some. He does. He makes an adjustment in the composition of the National Security Council. Boom! Yeah. One right. We're watching every all of day. Them, okay? Oh my God! Yeah. That's fine, but that's that's. Uh, let's watch Trump. But I find myself closely, but I find myself actually not really having all that much to say about Trump these days. Uh, I have more to say about the rest of us. What's the plan? What are we going to do? Our responsibilities have just grown by magnitude. True. And they don't have to do so much with ripping Donald Trump down. He'll take care of that himself. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Honestly speaking, parenthetically, I wonder if this guy's going to make it. I, I doubt mean, it. it's such mayhem in Washington. I'd give him wow. six months, maybe. But you're right. It's about more than taking down Donald Trump. So what are we going to do? Exactly. You know, wh- we're, what's the organization? What's the plan? Who are we going to put forward? I, I'd love to hear about it all, you know? 
as would I. I think, you know, we have to do it somehow. I don't, mm. and I don't see, you know, the Democratic Party, for example, being there. You know, they're too split up. And, you know, all the emails I get, they're all asking for money for this or that cause. And there's no, there, there's no clear vision. But uh, maybe one will come. I don't know of a, of a better world in which we, I mean, I, I think, you know, at least part of it is, it's, it's in the negative. We don't dominate the world and maybe, you know, getting along respectfully with other people, kind of like we teach our kids in school, right. not, not to bully. <laughs> the, the Democratic Party so far shows every sign of failing to register what has actually happened. Uh, so far as one can make out, um, they, are in, they, they are proceeding with that definition of insanity Einstein gave us, right? To keep doing the yes. same thing and expect a different result. Why aren't they gathering in some exotic place uh, hmm. and saying, all right, we blew it. We went blind. Uh, we went deaf. We have to reconstitute this party. Yes. Uh, we have to sever a lot of relationships that arose gradually from the 60s and 70s onward and get back to being what this party represented yes. as recently as the New Deal and Absolutely. the first years after the war. Absolutely. Right? Uh, the New Deal. Yeah. That's the way to go, I think. I really do. I mean, it worked. Anyway, thank you once again. I always look forward to speaking with you. The book is Time No Longer from 2013, Americans After the American Century. Patrick Lawrence, uh, foreign affairs columnist for The Nation. Thank you so much for your very Welcome, insightful... Welcome, Always a pleasure my end, too. All right. Thank you so much. Cheers. Cheers.
too hard, leave your troubles behind.